Glory to our Lord. Let's hear him as he speaks to us this morning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Jesus, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious God, grant to us your blessing here at this time, we pray, as we hear these words, as we hear your word, and as we understand the impact upon that that you desire for us, transform and shape our lives with it, we pray. In your son's name we ask. Amen. If you will, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the opening of the Gospel of Mark. We are looking at the Gospel of Mark. We're looking at the Gospel of Jesus Christ, as recorded by the disciple Mark. And today we're going to begin at chapter 1, uh, looking at verse 1 and on forward. As we look at this material, I do not normally read a, a lot of biographies. I read a lot of theology, some fiction, uh, some history and stuff like that. I don't read a lot of biographies, but I do kind of know that whenever you start a biography, when you read into a biography, what you do is you basically start with uh, the subject's history and uh, the genealogy, some of the people that have come beforehand, because the author usually recognizes, appropriately so, that we are very much so affected by our history and by the people that have come before us and the way in which that shakes us. I know that's certainly the case, for instance, for me. If you were to get to know me for any stretch of, of time, any intimacy, you will probably hear along the lines that uh, my father's father, so my grandfather on my father's side, was a very wealthy individual. Had a business here in Pittsburgh. Uh, 20 years ago, I still knew people that would recognize his name and recognize the business that he was involved in, and he lost everything in the stock market crash of 29. He is exactly what uh, the textbooks talk about, somebody who is completely wiped out and never, ever recovered uh, throughout the entire time. That uh, impact, that influence, shaped my father, which then ended up shaping me as well. Or my, uh, my mother's father uh, was an immigrant uh, from Eastern Europe, and he came across on a boat, just as you always recognize the stories, uh, he came without his parents, without family. He was nine years old when he came. Now, uh, once you get to my age, when you don't have little kids running around anymore, you sometimes lose track of what nine looks like. And so I think, uh, Alexander, you're what, about 10? Nine, 10 years old? Could you stand up a little bit? Okay, that's what nine or 10 years old looks like. Um, and whenever I'm reminded of that, thanks, Alex. Uh, whenever I'm reminded about that, that always shakes me a little bit that that's what it looks like for my father, to, my grandfather, to have come across on his own in the early 1900s. Um, these things 
tremendously shaped me, and it doesn't take uh, 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 you know, much thought if you get to talk with me about different things to see how those things influenced my life. So here we are at the beginning of Mark's record of his story of Jesus Christ, and yet you notice an absence of any of that kind of material. Mark doesn't go into the birth story. At least we have birth narratives in, Ma- in Matthew and in Luke, but we don't have that in here in Mark. Mark gives us no detail of Jesus's background, and I think that that's crucial for us to recognize because it sets us up to learn the right thing. We want to learn the right thing. I introduced last week our study on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ. The kingdom is here. The gospel is here because the gospel is Jesus Christ. He's the focus and he's the attention. And if you look carefully at the beginning of the, our gospel message that we read today in verse 1, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is not the beginning of a biography of Jesus Christ. That's not what Mark records. It's also not the beginning of Jesus' life or the beginning of the story of Jesus Christ. It is none of those things. And all too often, when we come to the Scriptures, that's what we think we are getting. But it's explicit here in the text. That's not what Mark intends to communicate to us. And as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark, let me reiterate, by the way, for those who are 18 and younger, that once you get your way through the Gospel of Mark, I mentioned this last time, if you read the Gospel of Mark and you're 18 and under and you come up and you tell me that you've finished all 16 chapters, uh, we will work out a deal where we get to go get ice cream together. So go ahead and work your way through the Gospel of Mark uh, for me with you. But as we work our way through, what we are reading is not an account of Jesus' life. We're not reading an, a biography of Jesus' life. We're not reading the story of Jesus' life. What are we reading? We are reading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we say that, my guess is that you're well familiar with that, and not, we can all see it right here in the text, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I fear that sometimes we miss the essence of what that means for us. What, what is the word gospel? Gospel is an old English word that just grabs a hold of the essence of, of the Greek and the Latin that are undergirding it. It simply means good news. Many of you have heard this over and over again, that the gospel is good news, and we recognize that, we hold on to it, but sometimes we don't appreciate exactly what it means that the gospel is good news. It is news. It is new. It is communicating something that is unfamiliar to you. That's the essence of the gospel. When you are reading the scriptures, when we are reading this text, we are supposed to be hearing something that is new, that we are unfamiliar with, and that is going to impact our lives. Now, all too often, we have come to church, we've been around for a while, we know the gospel, we communicate the gospel to other people. It's no longer new to us because we've heard it 
all of our lives, or we've heard it for the past 30 years, or we preach it because we're a pastor and we've heard it for 30 years and it's no longer news, it's no longer new to me. But the gospel never ceases to be the gospel. The gospel is new every morning for those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. The gospel is something that is that we are unfamiliar with, something that shakes. Now, the reality is that the gospel is like any river that is shallow enough that you can wade safely into if you are poor and needy and suffering and in pain, and the gospel will bless you and coach you. It's shallow enough for you to be safely there in the midst of the gospel message. Yet the gospel is also so deep and so rich and so beyond our grasp and understanding that no longer, no matter how long you've been involved in church, no matter how deep your reasoning and your understanding and your education is, you can never plumb the depths of that beautiful river of the gospel message. And so as we start this study together, as we begin to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, a lot of the stories you're going to be familiar with, a lot of the texts you're going to say, hey, I've heard this before. Perhaps you've heard really good sermons on, this pa- on these passages in the, in the past. Nevertheless, for each and every one of the, us, the gospel is good news. Not just for the non-believers that are in our midst here that are still trying to figure it out and who need to hear the newness of the gospel anew. So does every one of us. And man, if you're, that's not your experience when you come before the gospel. If you're every moment that you run into the gospel of Jesus Christ through your scriptures, through our worship time together, through your reflection, meditation, through your Bible studies, if every time you're not sensing the newness of it, I beg you, go to the Lord. Seek his face. Say, God, I, I don't know why I'm not sensing, I'm not feeling the newness of the gospel Reveal it anew to me, I guarantee you he will. Because we all, every day, live under the good news, the newness of the good news in our lives. It's also, by the way, just not news. It's good news. Just two quick things on that. The first is this, that it should be experienced by us as good good. What does goodness mean? It's pleasing. It's beneficial. It's positive. That's how we should experience it. But secondly, if you don't experience it that way, it still is. It is good news. If that's not your experience of hearing the gospel message, if it's fear, if it's self-condemnation, if it's loathing, if it's rejection, You're still hearing good news. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, what is the beginning of the good news right here? It is embodied for us. Now, Mark starts his gospel not with Jesus' history or anything like that. He starts the gospel rather with 
John. This is John the Baptist. There's a number of Johns in the New Testament. This particular one is John the Baptist that, we, that you might have heard of before. He was a contemporary of Jesus. He was a preacher and a prophet. And we have the story here as we begin the good news. The beginning of the good news starts not with Jesus in this instance, but actually with John the Baptist. And as we look at this text here, we're going to see that John the Baptist embodies the beginning of the gospel message. He embodies the beginning of the gospel message himself. Secondly, that he proclaims the gospel message. He proclaims the beginning of the gospel message. He sets the stage for the coming of the gospel message. That's secondly. And then thirdly, he anticipates the fullness of the gospel message. So the beginning of the gospel message shows us John the Baptist who embodies the gospel, who sets the stage for the gospel, and who anticipates the gospel. Let's see what we do here. The begin, look first at verse 6. Verse 6, we are told about John the Baptist. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now whenever you hear a description like that and you're reading the Bible or you're reading an ancient text or something like that, it's easy to sit and, and your mind immediately does this. You look, you say, man, that sounds really gross and weird, but it probably was appropriate for the time. This was probably culturally something. Everybody probably ran around and ate locusts and stuff like that. That's not the case. Mark records it here because it's weird. And it's weird for Mark. It was weird for the people of the time. It's not right for, as odd as it sounds to us, is how it's supposed to sound to the original readers as well. They heard this and they all went, gross. Because what John is doing here is we're a description of John that he wore camel's hair. Uh, so, in other words, his clothing was, was rough and the leather belt that is around it is in contrast to the way in which you would uh, ornately close your robe and, so, and things like that, particularly if you were a prophet. Eating locusts, if you're wondering what locusts are, that's, they, it's locusts. Okay, so, you know, a little grasshopper stuff. We're not told how he prepared it, but my guess is it wasn't chocolate dipped or anything like that. The guy's eating locusts and he's raiding honey beehives and stuff like that because why? Because why? What's the point of all of this? The great thing about this text is that John's that it describes John so that we immediately associate him with the Old Testament prophets, particularly Elijah. Elijah is described in Kings exactly this way, and John is linking himself to Elijah, and we go back and we read Elijah, and what do we see? That he had a message like John's message of humility and dependence upon the Lord. John embodied the gospel message and the God, it showed in his clothing, and everybody knew it. This is the thing. This is why it was weird, even for the people at that time. They all saw this guy acting out a life of Elijah in such a way that you looked at him and you said, wow, he is living exactly this kind of a life, a life of humility and a life of dependence upon God. Now, what do I mean by that? This is the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel is a recognition of our utter dependence upon God. 
the beginning of the gospel is portrayed here by the disciple Mark as first and by his choice of John the Baptist and his description of John the Baptist is to highlight to every one of us, if you want to hear the gospel, realize this. It is one that begins with an articulation and expression of our humility and our dependence upon God. In other words, the gospel immediately and right from the beginning attacks and targets the understanding that is at the core of every man's sin. Pride. Every man and woman's sin. Pride. And what John is articulating here for us in his dress and in his garb is you cannot hear the gospel. The good news, if you don't first recognize and embrace your dependence upon God. Now, when I say that the good news is something that is new every day, I should be speaking to anybody here that is at all a bit self-reflective. Those who have been Christians all of their life know that the longer that you walk with the Lord, the greater he shows us. What? The depth of our own pride, the depth of our own need, and our dependence upon God. And that's what John is witnessing, embodying for us here. The beginnings of the gospel is how desperately we need Jesus. If you don't feel that, if that need doesn't eat away at you, I beg you, go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've been a follower of you. I understand the gospel message. Why is it that I don't feel that, that desperate need? Why am I not able to humble myself before you in such a way as to lean into the gospel message, the good news that you provide for us? Not only does John embody the gospel, but he sets the stage for the gospel. Look in verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We don't have time to trace through the Bible the evidence here where John's gospel message is not the fullness of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. John's message is a stepping stone. It's the start it's the beginning of the gospel message, but it is not the fullness of the gospel message. And so there are believers that grab a hold of what John teaches and hear about the repentance, the need to repent for our sin and need, know of the desire to be baptized. Baptism here, the easiest way to think of that is, a, is you're being realigned. John has realigned us uh, to focus in upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so what happens is that John the Baptist, living out the gospel message, then proclaims this, the beginning of the gospel message, you must repent of your sin. We talked about repentance before, to turn, to go the other way. It is not feeling sorry for your sin, although that might be a part of it. It is not dedicating yourself to live differently, although that might be a part of it. Repentance is God's work in your life to change you, 
to yank you around, if that is not a daily experience for you as a believer, I beg you, go to the Lord and say, God, how long has it been since I have repented, meaningfully repented of my sin? Open my eyes, reveal to me, so I can hear the essence of the gospel message. John embodies the gospel message. He sets the stage for the gospel message. Finally, he anticipates the gospel message. Look in verses 7 and 8. This is what John preached. Okay, now, these are the words that he said that somehow echoes in people's minds as a call to repentance for sin. Right? That's what we heard, saw in, in verse 4, that he proclaims a baptism of repentance. Okay, how does he do that? This is what he says. After me, John is, starts by reminding people that he's not the fulfillment. He is not the pinnacle. He's not what you're coming to see. He's pointing at something. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Uh, uh, the lowest household slave, a Gentile if you can get one, but the lowest of lowest household slaves' responsibility was to take off the shoes and to wash the shoes of the family and of the guests. It was the most humiliating, most downtrodden position in society. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do that for the one who is coming. Why? Because I baptize with water. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John is setting up a contrast here. And the contrast is screams to us. John does something that is of the created world. I baptize you with water. Jesus will do something of the divine world. Baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John says, I do something that is of temporal value only. Jesus will do something of eternal value for you. John will do something very physical in nature. I will baptize you in water. Jesus says, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, something that is very spiritual in nature. John's gospel message, the good news of John, is to point past himself to the good news of Jesus Christ. If you don't hear that good news anymore, if it's no longer news to you, I beg you to go to the Lord to say, why am I no longer sensing the, with anticipation, the kind of anticipation that John has? Why do I no longer anticipate the newness of the gospel message? Oh Lord, make it so in my life. And I know that he will. Dear Lord, make that so in my life. Make it so in my life, I pray, that I would be transformed by the message of your gospel message. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.